I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our lives the rest of the week. We explore those implications together, right here on Outside the Walls. Last week, we had a great conversation with Constance Hall about a piece she wrote called Becoming a Saint is the Most Radical Call of All. And we talked a little bit about the struggle with what it looks like to be a saint, because, you know, we, we have this idea that I, I have to be good enough, right? I have to uh, put the effort in to be the saint and in some ways negate the, the work of the Holy Spirit in that, because we try to put all the effort in ourselves and say, man, if I could just pray hard enough or work hard enough, then I will be the saint I'm meant to be. Uh, and so today we're going to explore that just a little bit. Uh, St. Paul talks about my uh, my weakness. In my weakness, God's strength is perfected, right? Uh, we, we look at this and say, okay, I am meant to be a saint. I am called to be a saint, and it is a radical call, but it is a call that I cannot, cannot fulfill on my own. It doesn't matter how hard I pray. It doesn't matter if I read the Bible 10 hours a day. Uh, I can't, of my own effort, become a saint. It's only when I walk in cooperation with the will of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that I could ever begin to approach becoming a saint. Um, I'm reminded of the song by Rich Mullins, one of my favorite artists uh, from back in my Protestant days. And he has this song called, It's Hard to Be Like Jesus. And it's, uh, he says, I do get a little much over-impressed till I, t- till I think of Peter and Paul and the apostles. Well, I don't stack up too well against them, I guess. But by the standards around here, I ain't doing that awful. You know, we look at the lives of the saints and we feel like we don't belong. Um, like they're the select team, right? They're the select team Catholics. And I'm like, I'm not, I haven't even made it to junior varsity. I'm like peewee team, right? That's my level of sanctity. Uh, and we can get a little bit of this imposter syndrome. Uh, and I, I saw this thing about imposter syndrome on uh, on social media, on the interwebs, as they're called. Uh, one of my friends that's on there, he commented about this this anecdote from author Neil Gaiman. And, you know, I, I read it, and I just really kind of, uh, it resonated with me, so I'm going to share it with you here. Um, an anecdote from Neil Gaiman, he said, Some years ago I was lucky enough to be invited to a gathering of great and good people, artists and scientists and writers and discoverers of things. And I felt at any moment that they would realize that I didn't qualify to be there among these people who had really done things. On my second or third night there, I was standing in the back of the hall while the musical entertainment happened. And I started talking to a very nice, polite, elderly gentleman about several things, including our shared first name, Neil. And then he pointed to the hall of people and said words to the effect of, I just look at these people and I think, what the heck am I doing here? They made amazing things and I just went where I was sent. Yes, said Neil Gaiman, but you were the first man on the moon and I think that counts for something. He goes on to say, I felt a bit better because if Neil Armstrong felt like he was an imposter, maybe everyone did. And maybe there weren't any grown-ups at all, but only people who had worked hard 
and got lucky and were slightly out of their depth, all of us doing the best job we could, which is all we can really hope for. Now, of course, he's talking about worldly success, but now let's take that and move it out of that realm and move it into the realm of the communion of saints. And so now we're not in a room with, with discoverers and, and inventors and artists. Now we're in the room with St. Damien of Molokai and Mother Teresa and uh, St. Francis Cabrini and St. Francis of Assisi. And all of a sudden, we look at our lives of sanctity up against these saints uh, who, who prayed the liturgy of the hours every day, who got up at, at you know, three o'clock in the morning to do their first bit of, of uh, prayer and hours of adoration a day. And we look at this and go, man, how is there ever any hope for me to be a saint and to fulfill that radical call to sainthood that we heard about on last week's show? How can I ever compete? And here we go back to this, this anecdote. Each of these saints uh, became saints not because of their own effort, not because they, you know, they they sainted well. They they did this because, like Neil Armstrong in this anecdote, they went where they were sent. Right, uh, Saint Francis heard the call as he was meditating on the crucifix, and he was meditating on the crucifix at the San Damiano cross because he felt listless and and lost because he was no longer a soldier he he had been wounded and was not able to do what he thought he was supposed to do and he didn't know what to do with himself it was in this place of of really some desolation some uncertainty and and feeling in his case like an imposter like he's not able to really uh he's out of his depth not able to figure out what to do it was in that place of weakness meditating on the cross, seeking wisdom that the Holy Spirit came to him through that meditation on the San Damiano cross and said, Francis, look and see my houses and ruins rise and rebuild, right? It wasn't out of some amazing strength that he became a saint. It was out of that place of complete and utter uh, ineptitude in some way. He was no longer able to be what he thought life was supposed to look like. He couldn't succeed in the way he thought he was supposed to succeed, and that's the place that led him to being a saint. That's the place, by going where he was sent, by surrendering himself completely to the Holy Spirit, and that's the way that you and I get to be saints as well, by surrendering ourselves to the Holy Spirit. When we come back, we're going to talk with Shannon Evans about a book that's coming out real soon on our Sunday Visitor called Embracing Weakness, The Unlikely Secret to Changing the World. It's a fantastic conversation as we explore how God uses our weakness to make great things happen. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L., Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. 
And last week we talked with Constance Hull about the, the most radical call of all being that call to sainthood, that it's not something that's merely left for um, for the, the apostles or for those who have uh, entered vowed religious life, but that sanctity is something that belongs to all of us. By virtue of our baptism, that is our baptismal call uh, to live out this relationship, to live a life of sanctity, and to be saints. Uh, all a saint is is a person who is uh, living that holy life and who, after they have passed, lives in the friendship of God forever. So everyone who's in heaven is a saint, whether they're a canonized saint with a specific day on the calendar or not. Uh, but a lot of times we have this idea of what sainthood looks like. We we read the lives of the saints, and maybe we don't read too deeply. We just have this idea of you know, the work that Mother Teresa did or St. Damien of Molokai. They, they go out and they, uh, as a missionary, really care and, and for the, the physical and spiritual needs of the people who are around them. And so we, we kind of elevate that, that missionary status, and say that's, that's what it takes to be a saint. Well, today's guest did all of that before she came into the Catholic Church. She and her husband were missionaries, and it was in that process that she found that was not quite enough. We're talking today with Shannon Evans. Uh, she's got a brand new book almost out on our Sunday visitor called Embracing Weakness, the Unlikely Secret to Changing the World. You can pre-order it right now on osv.com. Shannon, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm really thrilled to be here. So you have this remarkable story, and it's, you know, I grew up in the Protestant church, and it's kind of the fairy tale dream. You actually made it. <laughs> you, you went through all the training and the language stuff. You were a missionary. So take us to that story and that place where you were, and then the realization that eventually brought you here in the Catholic church, living out your faith in a different way. Oh, that's a long story, but <laughs> I'll do my best. And the funny thing is, you say, you know, it does on paper sound like a remarkable story. You know, um, the going, living in Southeast Asia for two years as a missionary with your, you know, new spouse and kind of living this dream of, like you said, on the path to sainthood, even though we were Protestant at the time, so we probably wouldn't have used that vernacular. But um, I, I... As for as long as I can remember, I have wanted to impact the world. So I was the kid who was like putting orphan on my Christmas list, like hoping my parents <laughs> would go for it. And, you know, like, like visiting nursing homes on the weekend in high school, because I just didn't want to waste my life. I thought that, to, you know, I, I needed to be out there changing the world. And and I think that is a God-given desire. Like, I, I am so thankful for that. And I think that's also the formation of my parents who were really faithful. Um, but at the same time, that kind of pushed me into this mentality of being the savior of the world instead of being at the disposal of the savior of the world. Right. And it gets, it gets really muddled. And um, so I think that a lot of us, whether or going overseas, or, or just living our kind of ordinary lives, we kind of, like you said, we kind of have this um, perception of, of what it means to be a saint is to do something great. And for some of us, that just makes us feel immediately disqualified, <laughs> like why even try? And then for others of us, it can kind of give us an inflated sense of our own importance. Um, and for me, I think... <laughs> it was the latter of, I felt very um, 
sure that I was going to accomplish my goals in Southeast Asia, which um, I was on a team of um, evangelists who were kind of trying to start grassroots churches in the region that we were. But me personally, I really wanted to work with orphans and street kids and um, perhaps even sex trafficking victims. So I had these really big dreams, but really I was very young and I really had no um, specific training and education in those fields that are very complicated. And I was just pretty naive. Um, But I think, you know, to some extent, God can work with naivety and that's okay. But it was part of my process. Um, But yeah, through that was really confronted with my own smallness. And I was really uncomfortable with that. Like discovering that I was not making the impact that I had hoped. Mostly I was going to language school and kind of hanging out in my neighborhood. And these things did not feel like they were changing the world. You know, it felt it felt freakishly like what my life in America was like, except in a totally different context, you know, I was like, isn't this supposed to feel important and big? Um, well, and and part, so, of, part of that I think comes from yeah. our upbringing in the Protestant church that, that puts a prime right. on a, a massive uh, life changing sea change moments. Like if I can, you yeah. know, I remember going through this program called evangelism explosion. It's like, I'm going to ask you two questions, right? What would happen if you die today? And you know, where yeah. do you, you want to go when you die? And, and the whole point of the conversation is to drive towards this, um, this decision point at which point in time I can say, okay, I did my job and walk away. And right. I've made, now I've gone out and I've made a convert, but I've not fulfilled the call of Christ of making a disciple because I've not connected with them in any way like Jesus did with his disciples where he walked with them for three years. Yeah, There was a whole right. process of living life together that my upbringing didn't really account for when it talked about evangelization. And I'm assuming that yours was very similar in that regard. It was very similar. The specific way that we were trained was really to invest in a few people. Um, And so there was a lot of good in the model, but it also left a lot of people out that, that probably needed friendship. (laughs) And so it was like, if they, you were looking for, like you said, the person who was ready to make the decision on the dime, ready to, you know, kind of in in the world that I was in, it was, you cross over one side of the line and now you're saved, you know, which I think is a lot of the Protestant world. And then they kind of, I I will take the liberty of saying, earn the right for your discipleship. (laughs) And then you, you walk with them and, and you, um, are committed to them. So, so there's good in that, but at the same time, it just, it leaves out people who are perhaps hurting the most. Um, and maybe would be interested in a relationship with God, but aren't necessarily ready that very second um, to make that decision. And so people people got left out. But I think more even than that was this nagging sense of I um, I felt like I was having to almost wear a mask of of being put together, like to sell the gospel, you know, because like, if, if, if it's up to me to convert someone, then I have to make this thing look good. 
you know, like I have to look like I've got it all together. I like my ducks are in a row. My life is going well. I'm not struggling. And then I could take my own struggles and sufferings back to like my inner circle. Um, and, but what that did was made me feel so separated from the people that I was trying to minister to. I felt like I couldn't be honest. I couldn't reveal, um, my own sufferings with them. Like we, we could never have a genuine reciprocal relationship because I wasn't actually being honest about my own life. Yeah. We're talking today with Shannon <laughs> K. Evans about her new book, Embracing Weakness, available for pre-order on our Sunday visitor. So you had this moment where this came into stark reality and you, you recognized uh, that you were broken and that something had to give. Uh, what yeah. was this realization like what? What was the process that you went through to recognizing that suffering wasn't a bad thing, and that it was uh, part of really part of our uh, process to sanctity? Yeah, well, that takes you takes us into the next part of my story, which is um, becoming a mother through adoption. So my husband and I went through the adoption process while we were in Southeast Asia, thinking that it would be a child who was relatively local, but it turned out the, the way that everything worked out. Um, our son was from Uganda, was born in Uganda and we flew there. And then we all went home to the States. So we had served our two year, two year commitment and we returned home as parents. And I think whether or not a parent is, um, is mothering or fathering a child who has been through some degree of early trauma, I think every parent can resonate with the feeling of like having your own inadequacy just smack you on the face. It is such a brutal, it is such a brutal awakening to become a parent and realize that you are not the good person that you thought you were. <laughs> you know, you've got, you've got a lot of rage. You've got a lot of um, impatience. You've got a lot of just junk that you were able to sort of ignore before things were demanded of you all day, every day and all night. <laughs> yeah, Because, you know, um, your spouse can be reasonable. You can say, hey, you know, give me a little yeah. bit of alone time and then we'll connect back up. But a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a, a, a child just does not have that rationality level. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, certainly marriage is sanctifying enough on its own, but um, yeah, you throw in suddenly parenting and whether that's a newborn or in our case, a one-year-old, um, it's just, it's sudden and there's no way to really prepare for it. You know, everybody tells new parents that, but, the, but there really isn't. Um, but in our case, there was, uh, there were extenuating circumstances where he, we were trying to deal with the effects of early childhood trauma that he had been through and malnutrition and other things that had affected um, the way that he was able to process the world. And yeah, just month after month after month, it turned into a few years of us hanging on by a thread and saying, we thought we wanted to help. We wanted to do something good. We thought that we would adopt a child and our story would be blessed because isn't that what God wants? Um, and that was really how I, um, was introduced to the Catholic theology of suffering and the, the meaning of suffering, because I came from a tradition that was very much about healing and believing for healing and that it, healing is always the will of God. So it was 
extremely painful to, to be confronted with this and say, my innocent child is suffering and I can't, like, God isn't healing him. I can't do it. God is, seems like he's just absent and I don't understand this. Um, and so it was, it was really in that, that I encountered Christ in his passion for the first time and in his incarnation of realizing that I'm not alone in this human experience, you know, that, that that's the whole beauty of the incarnation is that God has gone through the human experience and, and can connect with us in that, in a way that is deeply meaningful and changes us from the inside out. Yeah. We're talking today with Shannon K. Evans. Uh, you can find out more about her writing over at shannonkevans.com. She's got a number of articles. Uh, she's written for, gosh, Sick Pilgrim on Pathios, on Relevant Magazine, Huffington Post, Catholic Woman, Blessed Is She, Verily Magazine, so much. But she's got a new book, Embracing Weakness, The Unlikely Secret to Changing the World, available right now or, well, for pre-order on our Sunday Visitor mm-hmm. Press, osv.com. There's much more to this conversation right after this break. What I want you to do is go over to Outside the Walls, uh, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And share with us a story of your suffering and how Christ met you there. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. So we're talking today with Shannon Evans. She is a, a Texas transplant living in Iowa. She's, But this is not the most exotic location you've lived, let's just be <laughs> honest. Uh, you, you served as a missionary for uh, two years uh, in the Protestant church. You've expressed to us in the last segment that you you had this idea of what it meant to go out and change the world, and you found it coming up a little bit lacking. And then you you had this idea of what it meant to change the world in a specific person's life in your adoption process, and mm-hmm. it it served as a mirror to show you all of the places where life uh, didn't line up the way that you expected it to. So now we're going to move a little bit further into the future into your experience uh, and understanding a different way of ministry uh, out still in Texas, but a little bit North of your, of your hometown. So talk to us a little bit about uh, this process of learning the Catholic uh, idea of suffering and a, a new way of ministry. Yeah. So around that time, my husband and I were exploring um, being confirmed into the Catholic Church, and we discovered a local Catholic worker community in our town of Denton, Texas, up, up north. And immediately, we were overcome with this this feeling of this feels like Jesus. Like we have been searching for the way of Jesus in ministry, and and like you said, we have been in Southeast Asia, um, trying to make a difference but feeling so far removed, feeling separated from the people that we were trying to, to serve. 
Um, but this time we were suffering so much with our, with our son and we felt so broken and so overwhelmed that we honestly had nothing to bring. So we just brought our presence, our weakness and our need. Honestly, I had had um, a, my, the first panic attack of my life and every, the, the community who was comprised mostly of people who were homeless um, just held us. They held us up. They supported us. They encouraged us. They prayed for us. They loved us. And I don't want to um, glamorize it. It certainly wasn't perfect. Like there was certainly plenty of dysfunction and problems and everything, but, but it felt so good to be, to be the ones who were able to be open about our own need and our own weakness and to have that received and, and handled so gently by others. And that, that was Jesus to me. And I thought, that is how I want to live my life. I want to live. Um, and I was introduced to the word solidarity, which is in the, the compendium of the social teaching of the Catholic Church, where, where it's, um, I guess the best way to summarize it is that we belong to each other and not just that the poor of the world belong to me and I need to serve them, but I belong to them. Like I can make myself vulnerable before them and they have gifts to give me as well. So that really changed my whole paradigm of what it looked like to have a life of ministry. Yeah. And you know, there's this, this sense of, we have a hierarchy, I guess, in our mentality of, of dysfunction. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, that dysfunction over there that they're experiencing that's socially unacceptable, but somehow my dysfunction is a little bit higher on the food chain. And so it, it's okay. I don't have to really confront that. And there's this sense yeah. when we live together that it, there's uh, this understanding of, oh, well, yeah, um, God is going to heal both of us. And and that healing mm-hmm. may not look uh, dramatic. It may just be the, the strength to continue trying. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And the way that God works in our lives is so often through each other, you know, like God is going to heal both of us in community with, in relationship with one another. Absolutely. Somehow the the American individualism or uh, as a bishop, I know, put it independentism uh, has brought us Mm. to a place where I think more here in the West than elsewhere, we really think that we can do it on our own. This kind of semi-Pelagianism pull us up by our own bootstraps and make it work because um, that's our idea of uh, politics and economy and everything else uh, here in the West. And we miss the fact that, as you mentioned, and as St. Paul mentioned, we are members of one another. We belong to each other, as you said. Yes, absolutely. Studies are showing that we are lonelier than ever. We're more depressed than ever. We feel like we have um, less people to confide in. Like many people feel statistically more people than not feel that they have no one to confide in truly. Um, all of these things where, where our, our sense of uh, independence has really not served us the way that, um, that God intended, I believe. We're talking today with Shannon Evans about our new book, Embracing Weakness. We tend to believe that uh, if somehow I'm not attaining sanctity, I have to try harder. I am, mm-hmm. I'm doing it wrong. And so I have to put more effort into it. And we avoid and push back and hide from our brokenness in such a way that we convince ourselves uh, all the way until we burn out and, and crash. 
Absolutely. And there's something healing uh, about recognizing our own weakness long before that. Yeah, I, I have found in my own life, and I think that if we're honest with ourselves, most of us can identify a way that we are, that we consume to fill the void um, of our own suffering or longing or weakness or however we identify it. And I think that can look really different for a lot of people. Um, so, so many of us have struggles with material consumption, with online shopping addictions, or maybe food or drink, the overuse of one of those sex addictions, those things that we recognize. But there's also a consumption that drives us that, that isn't so easy to pinpoint. It might be Netflix, you know, which doesn't really leave a paper trail, but numbing ourselves, or it could be a pursuit, consuming experiences, going from one fun thing to the next, there are so many ways where we we are just greedily trying to numb these places um, within us so that we don't have to confront the pain and the loneliness that we actually feel because it's much harder to come to somebody and and be vulnerable about what we're experiencing, about our weakness or about our struggles than it is to go buy a new pair of shoes that kind of make us feel better for an hour. You know, I think most of us kind of bemoan the place of consumerism in American society, and yet we're all individually guilty of that as well. But it's really hard to just decide to change your mind. I think some, there has to be an interior motivation, a, a decision to kind of confront what it is that you're trying to cover up in the first place. And I see so, I see this perfect model of that in Jesus's incarnation and the way that he makes himself available to people, the way that he lets himself be nurtured by other people, ministered to, um, the way that he lets himself be supported. And his his life is so communal. And I, I know I, for one, want to model that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, there are some ways of, of consumerism that we don't even think about, right? The endless scroll mm-hmm. of social media and finding the next radio uh, or podcast to listen to, you should listen to this one. But other than that, you know, uh, (laughs) something to take up our time and to uh, chase away silence, because the moment that we sit in silence with nothing to consume, uh, whether whether that be in Eucharistic adoration, whether it just be in a quiet place in the house, or whether there's noise around, but we simply sit and confront our, our own self. That's, that's yeah. that scary point. But honestly, that's the point that Christ comes to meets us. Well, Paul, Paul says that Christ's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so rather than yeah. trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and make ourselves saints, the way that we become saints is by acknowledging and resting. And as you titled your book, embracing our weakness. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I know so many of us are, but I think in our heads that means, well, then I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be competent. Like, like God, God is um, made perfect in my, or my weakness is made perfect in God. Then that means then I can kind of um, get better quickly, you know, rather than have to sit in that tension of, oh, that means that I actually have to accept that this is part of the human experience and believe that, that this is where I'm going to find God, not in X, X number of years when I've got all of my junk settled, you know, it's, it's now, this is the place of encounter. 
especially the, the Jesus of the incarnation. I truly believe like this is our moment of encounter is in our place of most raw weakness. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this is one example. It's not the only example. Uh, but one way that we do that is by recognizing that we are broken and taking that to confession or taking that to a spiritual director and mm-hmm. uh, giving ourselves permission to shut up and listen. Yes. To receive the mercy yes, of God and just to, to listen to what it is that God would say to us in our own inadequacy. Yes. Yes. I know in my own life, spiritual direction has been absolutely transformative. And that's not a, um, that's not a experience that I had before becoming Catholic. That's not, I think it's increasingly becoming more available to non-Catholics as well, but it's such a gift that we have. And, and, and reconciliation too. You know, if you especially have um, a priest with the charism for that, I mean, it is just, it is powerful to listen to what, to the truth of what God is doing in your life. And sometimes we need someone else to reflect that to us. Sometimes it's hard to see on our own, like where God is moving in our life, or we sometimes just feel abandoned by God. But to have someone who is trained um, to, to, be able to call that out. I think you're absolutely right. It's, we got to shut up and listen sometimes for sure. You know, most of these uh, interviews uh, you listen to other podcasts or or whatnot, they always end with, and now that I've learned this lesson, I'm so much stronger because X, Y, (laughs) Z. And yet that's kind of antithetical to what we're talking about. So here is you've come to this place. What have you found most surprising about being able to acknowledge and embrace your weakness? What, how has Christ met you in that place? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I think perhaps the most surprising thing for me has been the the new kind of well of compassion that I have found within myself for others. Where well, I, I think I would have always described myself as a compassionate person, but there is a difference between sympathy and empathy, as we know. And I feel like the more I am honest with myself about my own weakness and my own um, pain, I can I have actual empathy for other people who are hurting and maybe in different ways than I am, or, or maybe in, like you said, ways that are less socially acceptable than the way that I'm used to presenting myself. But I found that to be true, that that if we if our heart is deadened to our own struggle we can never truly be a refuge for the struggle of others and i think that is what makes sainthood right is is compassion i mean i don't i can't think of a single saint who wouldn't have been identified as compassionate right. and i think that that is the key of of knowing the depths of our own lack and then letting that transform the way that we encounter the world around us we're talking today with Shannon K. Evans. Find her blog and more over at shannonkevans.com. She's got a new book available for pre-order right now on our Sunday visitor called Embracing Weakness, The Unlikely Secret to Changing the World. There's more to this conversation with Shannon available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to outsidethewalls.com and click that Patreon link to learn how you can support the show and get tons of extra content while you're at it. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. Today, we've been talking about being weak and really finding consolation from the Holy Spirit, finding uh, healing from God without that necessarily making our weakness go away. We've been talking with Shannon Kay Evans. She's got a a new book coming out on Our Sunday Visitor. It's available for pre-order right now. It's called Embracing Weakness, the Unlikely Secret to Changing the World. Find out more about her work and uh, read more of her writing over at shannonkayevans.com. I've got a link to that over on our social media. If you missed any part of this discussion or you want to share this with someone else, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Go take a look and maybe catch up on some back episodes as well. While you're there, there's more to this conversation available to all of those who support the show through our Patreon link. Uh, Our Patreon supporters are a fantastic group, a fantastic community that love the work we do and they want to see it continue. Uh, And they keep us on the air. And as a, a thank you, in gratitude, we give an extra segment each and every week with a few extra questions, about eight to 10 minutes, depending on the week. To learn more about that, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. And after you share this week's episode on social media, go up to the top right-hand corner of the page and click that Support the Show link. Poke around, see what you see, and consider helping us stay on the air and getting access to a whole backlog of extra content uh, from many, many of our favorite guests. Let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture comes from the Gospel of John, comes from tomorrow's Mass reading. When Judas had left them, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and God will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also should love one another. This is how all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And looking at this verse, St. Augustine says that the key to this verse The key to this being a new commandment is in the second half of it. Because in the Old Testament, we see love your neighbor as yourself. And so what makes this commandment new is the disciples' own experience and relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another, right? Our love is now measured by what we have received. It comes down to, again, this is not us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. This is not us uh, manifesting and and making sure we eke out enough love uh, for one another. Rather, this is us having experienced something from the hand of the Lord and passing it on to those who are around us. And it's important also to understand that love is not an emotional thing. It's not a sentimental thing. Uh, But love, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, is to will the good of another. It's to specifically engage our intentions and to engage our will for the purpose of bringing about and seeking someone else's good, sometimes at the expense of our own. To love 
one another as Christ has loved us. In order to illuminate this a little bit more and to tie this back to our our conversation today with Shannon Evans, we're going to turn our attention to a reading from church history from St. Cyril of Alexandria. The Lord calls himself the vine, and those united to him branches, in order to teach us how much we shall benefit from our union with him and how important it is for us to remain in his love. By receiving the Holy Spirit, who is the bond of union between us and Christ our Savior, those who are joined to him, as branches are to a vine, share in his own nature. On the part of those who come to the vine, their union with him depends upon a deliberate act of the will. On his part, the union is affected by grace. Because we had goodwill, we made the act of faith that brought us to Christ and received from him the dignity of adoptive sonship that made us his own kinsmen. According to the words of St. Paul, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The prophet Isaiah calls Christ the foundation because it is upon him that we as living and spiritual stones are built into a holy priesthood to be a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Upon no other foundation than Christ can this temple be built. Here, Christ is teaching the same truth by calling himself the vine, since the vine is the parent of its branches and provides their nourishment. From Christ and in Christ, we have been reborn through the Spirit in order to bear the fruit of life, not the fruit of our old sinful self, but the fruit of a new life founded upon our faith in him and our love for him. Like the branches growing from a vine, we now draw our life from Christ, and we cling to his holy commandment in order to preserve this life. Eager to safeguard the blessings of our noble birth, we are careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and who makes us aware of God's presence in us. Let the wisdom of John teach us how we live in Christ and Christ lives in us. The proof that we are living in him and he is living in us is that he has given us a share in his spirit. Just as the trunk of the vine gives its own natural properties, to each of its branches. So by bestowing on them the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the only begotten Son of the Father, gives Christians a certain kinship with Him and with God the Father because they have been united to Him by faith and determination to do His will in all things. He helps them to grow in love and reverence for God and teaches them to discern right from wrong and to act with integrity. This reading comes from a commentary on the Gospel of John by St. Cyril of Alexandria. And here is the whole summation of what we've been talking about today. In this is everything. Because think about this, this vine and branches picture a little bit more. Everything that the branch has, that has life in it, comes from the vine comes from the roots, comes from the soil. 
if you were to take that branch and separate it from the vine, there would be nothing that that branch could do. All of the fruit that comes from the branch is only there because of the life that it gets from the vine. And so as we look at sanctity and we look at the idea of doing good works and of making a difference in the world and, and whatever else we want to say, all of our capacity to do those things comes only from the fact that we are connected to God the Father, only from the fact that we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit, even down to the idea of loving one another. The only way we can do this is if we are connected to the Son, love one another as I have loved you. We have to experience that as I have loved you. We have to experience the love of Christ before we can ever go out and exemplify it and to share it and to reflect it to others. Otherwise, all we can give is what we have. All we can give is our own strength, our own power, our own life, and as we are well aware, if we're left to ourselves, we're just imposters. If we're left to ourselves, we're just broken and weak and inadequate. It's only when we are empowered and vivified by the life of God, by the nature of God, by being made a sharer in the divine nature, that we can do anything. Apart from God, we can do nothing. Everything that we try, every time we try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, we realize the strength of the gravity of our own nature, right? You just go ahead. You stand on the ground. You grab the, the bottom of your shoes and you pull up and you see how far you're going to get up in the air and how long you're going to stay there. It's not going to happen because... We're fighting so much of nature. We're fighting gravity in that way. We need some external force to raise us up. And this is what God does for us. God comes in and renews our spirit and gives us life and and reconciles us to himself and vivifies us, gives us all of the life of God We become sharers in his divine nature and every good and perfect gift that is given to us from God the Father, we are able then to share with those around us. And it's through this weakness and vulnerability and recognizing that we are dependent on God that we become the saints that we're called to be. That's all the time we have for today. Tomorrow we've got a great show. We're going to be talking with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg talking about the uh, the Sacrament of Confirmation. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. I heard him preach a homily on this recently, and you're going to love this conversation. This week's show is brought to you by Brandy Carey and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, join their numbers, and get lots of extra content. I pray this week that you would be filled with the love of God, that you would be empowered to go out and share it with others. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.